0: For some reason recently, I've found myself hanging out with grandparents, just different ones. So, you know, a lot of grand, if you're a grandparent, just raise your hand in the room. Grandparents, God bless you all. You are wonderful, wonderful. I don't think it's Grandparents Day, but we'll celebrate you anyway. I was uh, hanging out with some grandparents who happened to be pastors the other day. We were having a pastor's meeting last week of our little zone, our little team, and uh, there were actually only three of us there. A couple others couldn't make it. And we were talking about all sorts of ministry-related items, encouraging one another, sharing different resources, and then somehow, somewhere, I don't know even how it came up, but, but I just mentioned, like, children or something, and suddenly, like, the phones came out from both of those other pastors, and it was like, this is what I really want to talk to you about. Can I show you my grandkids? And they just started flipping through the pictures on their phones, and, you know, I mean... A little slow moving through the phones, but they got there and, and showing me these different pictures, and, and I could just see that as, as good as our time had been together discussing all sorts of important issues of ministry, what they really wanted to talk about was their grandkids. And uh, then last Sunday, actually, I was here, and um, uh, after our annual meeting, it was a wonderful meeting, by the way. Thank you so much for those of you who were able to be a part. But uh, after our meeting, I was just talking with Naomi Avedikian, and some of you know Naomi. And we were chatting, she's been here at this church for a long time, and I was just like, you're one of the legacy members, you know, thank you so much, Naomi, for keeping this place going through all the years. And, uh, and then she's like, oh, yeah, thanks, thanks. And then I said, by the way, did I hear that your daughter just had a baby? She goes, oh, yes, Pastor James, as a matter of fact, she did. Let me pull out my brag book, I believe she called it. Is that what you call it, grandparents? And and out came you know forget the phone now it was the uh, the, the actual little album and she just started flipping she, Ruth and Crosby Panoy were waiting out there for her and it's like standing there and she's flipping through pictures I mean like, Naomi you probably ought to go help them but I'll look at the pictures it's fine and, and just you know flipping through them all and as much as important it has been like the last I don't know whatever it is 40 years of history and the life of this church for Naomi. Sharing about her grandkids was what she really wanted to talk about. Do you ever get that feeling when you're just talking with people and you're talking about something, but uh, you know they really want to talk about something else? And uh, and and if you give them an inch, like they'll talk about it. Like Aaron with baseball stats, you know, if you give that guy an inch, he'll start talking about fantasy baseball. And, And other people, you know, music maybe, or their their job, or technical stuff. That's one of my most fun things about being a pastor is. I'll be engaged in conversation with someone. I'll ask them a question about their work. Just, not just being nice, because I'm actually kind of interested. But then they'll start talking about what they do. It'll be like, just glaze. I can just feel it growing on my eyeballs. Because I have no... It's like when I talk with Venzer about his work. It's like, what? I don't know. That's, that's beyond my ability to comprehend. But, uh, but it's, and, and people can just go, you know, not that Greg does, but they can go on and on about what they do, what they know. It's really... It's really cool. Well, all this relates because in the letter to our, our first Peter, Peter's letter to the churches, um, no matter what he talks about, no matter what the topic of conversation in this letter, what Peter really wants to talk about is Jesus. Like he can start talking about all sorts of little different issues about how to live life and, and the situation that they're facing and, and enduring the struggles and the trials that they're up against. And he can talk about... You know, the, 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 the government, and he can talk about all sorts of life situations. But he just, over and over, he just keeps bringing it back to Jesus. It's like, yeah, I want to talk about this, but mm, no, we need to talk about Jesus. It kind of reminds me, you remember that old uh, familiar story of the Sunday school teacher who asked the class of young children, what's little and gray, eats nuts, and has a big big bushy tail? Remember that one? And uh, after a moment, one of the child replies, I know the answer's probably supposed to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. I, well, it might, you know, it might sound like a squirrel when Peter starts to talk about other things, but really what he's talking about is Jesus. He really wants to just keep pouring us back, just keep our attention on, on Jesus. And I just, I, you know, we just can't forget as we read these verses from 1 Peter that this guy hung out with Jesus. I mean, he was like, you know, one of his right-hand guys, just, just right there. He'd, he'd walked with Jesus. He'd been there in the moments, in the, in the good times, and the bad times. He'd been there. He'd, you know, he'd failed. He'd, he'd denied that he even knew Jesus at times. He, he, had, he had not kept up his, he'd stuck his foot in his mouth more times than he could remember. And yet he He had also been restored by Jesus. He had been loved by Jesus. He had known the grace and the goodness and the power of Jesus. And so Peter, as he speaks, as he writes, as he lives in ministry, it's just infused with Jesus. And this letter, it just keeps coming out over and over again. So um, we're going to look at another passage today in 1 Peter. If you have a Bible, I'd love to have you turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2 today. And... uh, it won't take long for Jesus to, like, pop out of this, this wonderful passage of Scripture. Let's stand up together, can we, as I read? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning down at verse 19 and through to the end of the chapter, verse 25. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd the guardian of your souls. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. I have to say there are lots of reasons uh, actually not to preach on this passage of Scripture. I, I, I do have a few. as <laughs> why we should preach on this passage of Scripture. But there are a few that, that, that stand out. One of particular reasons for uh, not preaching this lectionary passage today. Um, well, the, the main one is this, a quick glance at the context. If you will, if you don't have your Bibles, then the lectionary uh, formatters sort of pulled the fast one over on you because they had us read Luke, or 1 Peter 2, 19 to 25. But if you have your Bibles, look at verse 18. And just a quick glance at the context before our reading shows that this per- particular word of instruction is written to slaves. How Awkward. <laughs> Right? How awkward. Just the mention of slaves or slavery in, in our day, in our, in our culture, in, in, our, in our world, in our hearts. It just sends like chills down our spines or just shudders through our, our, our body as we think about the, the horrors, the brutality of this practice. Our own country's history marred by slavery. The current exploitation of human slaves all around the world right now for labor and for sex trafficking. All sorts of things going on, even in the world today, that disgust us and that horrify us. And to even talk or to think about slaves or slavery is just, in, in some ways, just reason enough to just skip right over this. I don't want to bring it up. Even more than just talking about, and, and two slaves, and talking about slavery here, though, is the fact that Peter has this platform. He has this opportunity to talk about slavery. And instead of calling for its abolition, instead of calling for it to be wiped out, he he actually encourages the people who he's writing to to treat their masters well, to do what their masters tell them to do, whether they are kind or whether they are cruel. He tells the people to, to bear up under even unjust Suffering as a witness to Jesus again, awkward, strange, and there 's concern, maybe thirdly, that to even speak about slavery and, and maybe this doesn 't do it for you, but but to even speak about slavery in our day in any way other than to utterly condemn it is to is to suggest perhaps. Uh, or to suggest, perhaps, that anyone who is experiencing this kind of abuse or exploitation should, should somehow just sort of bear up under it, is, 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 could come across as maybe being naive, heartless at best. And so it, it has a standing, even to talk about this subject, I don't really want you to engage that. I don't want any of us just to sort of fly by and just say, eh, it's about slaves. That's cool. You know, whatever. No, I mean, it's a really, really difficult issue, and it has this sort of standing on some, some, I don't know, not thin ice, but just fragile ground here as we speak. And yet the reality is this. On the other hand, there are several reasons why we should not only not avoid this text, but we should dive right into it. And not just, you know... 19 to 25, but 18 to 25. I really should have read the whole thing for you, this whole section. The the reality is that to avoid slavery would be to avoid one of the major realities of the day in which Peter wrote, both in society and in the church. Slavery was a different deal in the ancient world than it was here in America in pre-Civil War days, and different than what it is around the world Today, It was, a, it was a, really a, a, at, at the foundation. It was a widespread foundation for the Greco-Roman society that was emerging in those days. And some suggest that uh, slaves actually constituted more than 50% of the population. Everything that we take for granted, electricity, you know, water, any kind of power, anything that, that we just have as a natural kind of luxury, it's not even a luxury, it's a, just what we expect had to be created, and in large part it was created by slaves in those days. Uh, race played no factor in slavery at all. Most, most slaves were guaranteed freedom by the time they were 30. So a, a lot of uh, folks look at this and think that, that, uh, that Peter was writing to a lot of young adults, actually, in this letter. Uh, some of you who are under 30 think that you are a slave to whatever job you're working at this time. It maybe feels like that. Um, education was actually encouraged. Uh, they, they wanted slaves to make themselves more useful. They were free to meet together. They were free to practice their own religion. In fact, some think that Peter devoted as much space as he did here in this letter to slaves because a large proportion, perhaps even the bulk of his readers, of his listeners, even those within the churches in those days were actually slaves, which would make sense because here were people in a very difficult space in life, who knew that, who, had, who had discovered the freedom and the grace that had been offered to them in, in Jesus Christ. The fact that Peter addresses slaves at all is a big deal, so we ought to pay attention to it. The fact that Peter addresses slaves first in his instructions to different sorts of people, maybe you'll notice if you have your Bibles open, that he goes on to speak to wives, and he goes on to speak to others in the family, and Paul, in his letters, he also, like his letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, he spoke also to to, uh, husbands and wives, and he spoke to, to parents and children, but he always spoke to the slaves last. Peter speaks to them first. It appears, perhaps, by the placement and the priority of Peter's message to the slaves that he sensed in them a special relevance to how he understood and how we should understand the life of, of every believer. Special relevance, a special relationship between a slave in that day and to every believer in every day. He draws a special connection, finally, that we can't miss between the suffering of a slave and the suffering of Jesus. Very, very important for us to think about as we, as we attend to this, this passage, the fact that That Jesus suffered, Peter says, means that those who follow him in doing good will suffer as well. Here's the connection. The way that Jesus responded to suffering provides an example, Peter says, for those who will suffer. And the ultimate victory of Jesus over suffering gives hope to all of those who may suffer now. How relevant to those. The reality is, that what slaves are encouraged to do here at the beginning of 1 Peter, at least here in chapter 2, is really no different to, than to what all believers are called to do throughout the rest of Peter's letter. The, the, the themes that he encourages them to, to pay attention to are coming up over and over again in this passage of Scripture. To say it simply, what sounds like a passage, if you read verse 18 that is, what sounds like a passage on slavery... Is, is, is actually not a passage on slavery, but it's a passage about Jesus. It, it may sound like slavery. It may sound like a squirrel. But it's, it's really about Jesus. And that's what Peter is drawing us back to. So in keeping with our series theme that we've been speaking about from week to week, we might even say that this passage that we've read is, is catechesis. For those who suffer, it's instruction, it's training for those who go through difficulty, for those who are persecuted, for those who are experiencing, even maybe right now in your life, a very difficult, trying, hard time. Not just literal slaves in these days, but for anyone who might experience unjust treatment in any day and in any age. Here's instruction for the believer today who is persecuted by your coworker or by your neighbor for your faith. And you know what it feels like? I mean, maybe just a little comment here or there. Maybe it's very in your face, maybe very critical. Maybe, you, maybe you're looked down upon in some way because of your, your, your faith. People think of it as perhaps just a crutch that you're leaning on. Here's a, here's a word of, of, of encouragement to a young person. And, and I, I hope I'm talking to some young people here this morning who maybe feel just a little bit on the outside. Like, I don't know if you remember, it was a long, long time ago, but there was this great commercial. I think it was from Mervyn's. Does anybody even remember that, show, that, that store? There was this great commercial, and this lady was like, I don't know what brought it on, but she was standing on the outside and she was waiting for the store to open. You remember that? And she's like knocking. She's like, "Open, oh. open!" Remember that one? Yes, yeah, some of you do. And 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 I just this passage is for some for some teenagers and for some college students, maybe some young adults, who who just sort of feel like the social uh, stratosphere of the school that you go to or the kids that you hang out with is like Mervyn's. It's it's sort of closed to you. And, and people are maybe nice to you at some level, maybe they're kind of rude to you even, but they're kind of nice to you at some level, but because of your faith, it's like you're, you're on the outside looking in, and as much as you say open, 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 because of your faith, those doors have stayed closed. And, and I don't know if anybody's been there, I certainly have myself, but if you've been there, that is a, is a hard feeling. That's a hard feeling. You know you don't want to be in there necessarily because you don't want to be a part of that. You know your stand of faith, but you also want to be in there because if you're not in there, then you're out here, and it's, it's a hard place perhaps to be for, even for some young people. Here's, here's training for, for believers who because of the, the choices that you've made regarding sexuality or, or just morality or the ethics that you've made, the ethical decisions that you've made regarding business, Perhaps, so your workplace has left you just, again, on the outside. Maybe your other coworkers are like, come on, get with the program. We do it this way. And you're like, I can't do it that way. That's not the way that I'm made to do it. My morality, my choices have left me, perhaps, some of you would say, on the, again, on the outside, looking in, even looked down upon. Here's guidance for a believer looking for a way forward In a world that is hostile to holiness. Trish talked about it. This is God's aim for you. It's God's aim for me. It's God's aim for us. Not that we would just sort of get by, but that we would be led into this life of purity. This life of wholeness and of holiness. This is catechesis. This is instruction in faith. Especially as it relates to suffering. The entire passage... I don't have this. Maybe you can put this up there, Aaron, if you can't. It swings on that last sentence of verse 21. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can look at it, but it's just this. It's perhaps the most famous phrase of the entire book of 1 Peter. Maybe you didn't even know it was in 1 Peter, but you read it there, the last sentence of verse 21. It's it's the phrase that has made actually probably the biggest cultural impact. Uh, from First Peter, and it has made the biggest financial impact as well. Now I got some of your attention. It's made the biggest financial impact in culture as well from this little sentence. He is just that last one. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Anybody with me? We know where I'm going with this. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. Say it with me. In his steps. In his steps. A book written in 1896 by a pastor, Charles Sheldon, first published back way back in 1896. It's done fairly well over the years. 30 million copies have been sold. Not bad. Not bad. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, copyrighted, and so a lot of those have been, uh, uh, Sheldon got no royalties for it. And it was pretty cheap. That's probably another reason why it sold so many copies. Well, it's a it's a book that, that Charles Sheldon wrote um, actually after he had spent a series of Sunday evenings in his church <laughs> preaching messages that were based basically basically on a story that he wanted to tell. And some of you maybe have read the book or heard the story, but but a series of fictional Stories that he wanted to tell about people in a community who decided to live for one year without doing anything, without first asking the question, What would Jesus do? Has anybody heard that phrase before? Oh, you have? Oh, man. some of you younger folks have no idea what I'm talking about. How many had a bracelet? Fess up. Come on, people. Come on. No? All right. It was one of the first. Rubber bracelets, right? I mean, WWJD was one of the first and sparked an incredible craze. I mean, you know, pro athletes were wearing them on both, on both wrists. Everyone was wearing those WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it all was sparked by this little book Charles Sheldon wrote all the way back in 1896 and some brilliant marketers, <laughs> right, who took that phrase and that whole idea and, and grew it into this, this cultural phenomenon. Well, for those of us who lived through the WWJD phenomenon, perhaps the idea has lost a bit of its luster. I mean, people were coming out with, you know, the anti-WWJD. It's like, it's not what would Jesus do, it's who would Jesus be? Or, you know, it's not what would Jesus do, it's what would you do because Jesus did it? Or You know, everyone's trying to come up with their own little spin on it, different initials to put on the bracelet. I don't know. But maybe it's lost a little bit of its luster. And for those of you who are younger, it never had any luster to begin with. But really, it's a, it's a, it's a biblical idea. I mean, it's right here in the Bible. We just read it. It's biblical. <laughs> in his steps. In his steps. What's really Peter talking about here? Is it really as simple as asking what would Jesus do in every situation as we think about, especially those situations of suffering, especially those maybe for a slave in that day or somebody who's going through great persecution in our own day? Is it really that simple? I think it's a pretty good starting place, actually, but not quite maybe the full story. The words Peter uses, and if you can't go back to that verse 21, that would be awesome. The the words that Peter uses here and the images he creates are powerful ones for us to consider this morning. He is your example, first of all. The, the word they use there is not the word that's just like some kind of, you know, idea or great notion that is an example that we should shoot at, that we should try to do our best to follow. The actual word, the Greek word that's translated example here it was, 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 was used to speak about the letters that school children would put underneath their paper or right in front of them, so, or their papyrus or whatever it was that they wrote on in those days, so that they could trace the letters, so that they could learn the pattern of those letters, so that writing those letters could become second nature, it could become a part of really what they knew and who they were. It wasn't some model over here to look at and, oh, isn't that nice? Maybe someday I'll be like that. It was it was this idea of He is your example right here to lay your life right on top of. To draw so close to and to watch so closely and to in, in just become one with so that our lives might follow that example. So that the way that Jesus responded would be the ways that we responded. This, this example for us. And that, that second little phrase, you must follow in His steps. Again, it's not... It's not just an idea of, you know, there he goes somewhere and, and you know, maybe I'll catch up. But it's this, it's this vision, again, really of, small, of a small child walking behind his mother or his father in, through the snow or along the sand or the dirt path and just looking for each and every step that is marked out before them and stepping right into those footprints. One after another. I remember mountain biking one time. Some of you guys love to mountain bike. You don't like baseball, but you like mountain biking. So one time when I was mountain biking, I'm so bad at mountain biking, and this guy took me on this this trail that was freaking me out. I mean, it was like you know drop-offs. And I'm I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I'm going to fall. And I remember the whole time, I didn't even look up. Afterward, he's like, wasn't that beautiful? And I was like, I have no idea. Because all I was doing was watching your trail. And keeping my tires right in line with your tires. And wherever you went, that's where I went. Except for that one time when you went off that jump. I didn't do that. You know, it's like I went around. But but it's that same idea. Where's the print? Where's the print of Jesus? Where is it that he's walking in this world? And you can imagine, can't you? I mean, you must follow in his steps. And again, we think back to Peter. And we think about Peter by the seashore in his, in his boat catching fish, and Jesus walks by and he says, Come. Follow me, follow me, I'll make you fisher or a man. And here's Peter just sort of speaking that back right into the world in which he lived. It's like, this is what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to, he wants to be your example, trace your life over his. Even in the difficult times, you know what Jesus went through you saw what he experienced. Trace your life right over his. And you saw the way that he walked into it, and he says, come and follow me. And it doesn't mean it's just going to follow you into just like the, you know, all the beautiful and easy things of life. It means come and follow me into the pain, into the suffering, into the, the tragedy that is victory. Come and follow me, Peter had heard Jesus say to him. And now he speaks it to these folks as, as well. Here's the idea that he goes on to, to, to talk about. What does this look like? What does it look? What's the example? What's the steps? What are they? Well, in 22 to 25, he fills it out basically by referring back to Isaiah 53. And you don't need to turn back there, but he doesn't quote it. Interestingly, Peter, he does this a lot, actually, in his writings and in his preaching in the book of Acts. He, he doesn't always quote things from the Old Testament exactly as they were. He, he sort of adds his flavor to it. It's I take it as sort of license for preachers. No, I'm just kidding. I would never do a thing like that. Peter can do that. But he just sort of, he, he has like Isaiah 53, and you, will, you can go back and read it later on. But he has Isaiah 53 sort of floating around in his head. And some of these are quotes from it here in verses 22 to 25, and some of it are just allusions to Isaiah 53, where Isaiah has written about the suffering servant, this description of, of this servant in Isaiah who we would know as the Messiah. And he begins to speak about what this one did and what Jesus did. And he begins by speaking negatively about what Jesus did not do. He didn't sin. He didn't deceive anyone. Did you hear that? He didn't provoke anyone. He was above reproach. He was above blame. At the same time, we're told that he didn't retaliate when people insulted him. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He didn't take things into his own hands. Anybody good at that? You don't have to raise your hand? He didn't take things into his own hands, but it says he left his case in the hands of God. I don't know about you, but when I read that this passage of Scripture again this week, that's the phrase that stood out to me. That's the first one that just jumped out. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Just envision Jesus in the midst of his suffering, his crucifixion in the midst of All that he was going through, just just being like, I rest my case. I'm not going to take this one up. I've got no more arguments, no more defense, no more pleas, no more evidence to give. Just, I rest my case in you, God. I trust you completely. As he had prayed his prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus is living it out. It's this beautiful picture and this example that he calls us to follow. I rest my case. In the hands of God, when I'm experiencing suffering, when I'm experiencing pain and difficulty, I rest my case. We are to rest our cases in him. He didn't take things into his own hands. He just, every time it came into his own hands, just think of it with this, this image. Every time it came into his own hands, he just kept handing it off to God. This suffering, this difficulty, it feels so heavy, and he just kept entrusting that word is himself to God. Knowing that God would care for him fairly in just the right way. Then it's on to verses 24 and 25. Peter speaks positively about what Jesus did do. In the face of suffering, Jesus persevered. We are not to do these other things in following Jesus. We are to do these things. He persevered knowing the purpose that God had for him to carry. Did you read it there? To carry the sins of the world. To bear them himself to the tree, to the cross. This emblem of suffering and shame. Jesus knew that this is what God had for him so he persevered. He he carried the sins of the world to the cross. He made a way, Peter reminds us there, for people who would put their faith in him to not only be forgiven of their sin but to live a new life. And here's that resurrection theme that Peter just can't get away from. Forgiven of sins, Jesus has made possible. Raised to new life, just as he was on that first Easter day, is also available for those who would follow after him. He says, Peter does, it would be by the wounds of Jesus. And you just hear the slaves maybe reading this in that day. And maybe you can hear those of us who have been wounded and are wounded even now, reading that and saying, wait, I'm familiar with those wounds. It would be the wounds of Jesus. That would be our healing. Our spiritual wholeness would come because of the the suffering and the sacrifice of of Jesus. It was Jesus who, by his suffering, Peter says, would make a way for the lost to be found, for, for the vulnerable to find safety. And here we find that Jesus He's our, he's our model. He's our example for sure. Even, even in his going to the cross, he's showing us that when we face suffering, we too are to persevere. We too are to hold fast, knowing that God has a purpose for us, even perhaps in and through that suffering, that as we emerge through it, God may have been doing a refining work in us that we may not have been able to see. That we are moving through it. We're, we're persevering, knowing that he has a plan and a purpose for us, knowing that that that, that even uh, the experience that we have might help bring about healing both in our own lives and in the lives of others but, but Peter is so much speaking more than just about Jesus as an example here he's saying follow in his steps not just as an example not just do what he did but follow in his steps because if you do he's leading you to this reality it's like salvation is over there holiness is over there Forgiveness of sins is over there. True healing is over there. New life is over there. And Peter is saying, Jesus will lead you there if you will walk in his steps. If you're unsure what that looks like for you, whether just in in general in life, or what it looks like for you in particular in the midst of the suffering that, that perhaps is upon you even now, and if it isn't upon you now, can I just say, friends, that I... You know, the suffering has kind of been up and down in my life, and it's never really, 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 really been down. There's never been a ton of it. And, and, and just to be honest, I, I'm just kind of waiting for it. <laughs> Some of you know it. You've experienced it truthfully, deeply, painfully. Some of you are in the midst of it right now, and you know a pain and a suffering that goes beyond anything that I have ever known. Some of you are more like me. It's like, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's bad. Well, get ready. I mean, I think most people who are in it would say maybe they hadn't expected it, but it came. And I think most of us, all of us who would follow after Jesus could know that because Jesus has gone that way, it is likely that we will go that way too. So when it comes in the face of that suffering, can we know that the new life and the new hope and the, and the, and the forgiveness and the true healing of that suffering, of that pain is there where jesus will lead you to is there where his footprints will go is christ is our example he's our savior he's our shepherd he's more than able to help these slaves and he's more than able to help us let's stand together can't we invite our worship team and our servers to come down here today we get to again participate in the Lord's Supper, and uh, what a great opportunity and a wonderful moment in which we can again come face to face with the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus. What, what What a beautifully, divinely appointed moment where we can come to the table of the Lord and come before This gracious gift of God to us, this bread and cup that not only remind us, but but they beautifully become to us the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. What a beautiful moment and opportunity for us, friends, to come to this place where we can come face to face with the suffering of Jesus. As we, as we ponder the magnificence of his gifts, may we, may we never forget the suffering that he endured on our behalf. And as we take of the bread, we, you know, Jesus told us to do it, but, you know, how often do we really do it? But today in the context of this message in particular, can we, can we look at the bread and can we remember? And can we bring to life even now? Can we bring just to this present moment the broken brokenness of Jesus, his body just broken for us. And can we look into the cup? And I would just invite you when you take that piece of bread just to stare deeply for a moment, just even into the cup as you dip the bread and into the, the depth of that cup, every, every bit of it, Jesus being poured out for you, Jesus' blood that was shed, for our forgiveness, it wasn't just a prick on the finger. It was, it was, it was his lifeblood poured out for us. And and while we often take the Lord's supper and receive these gifts with, and we will today as well with great joy and with great thanksgiving, may we also do so today with a great awareness of what it cost Jesus that we might be forgiven and given new life. And may we also in recognizing the broken and poured out body and blood of Jesus, recognize that that's exactly what he's calling us to do in the world. That in the face of the suffering and the trials and the difficulties that we all face or will face, that our invitation is to be broken and to be poured out and to rest our case in the hands of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that a life of following you in your steps is not one that is promised to be easy. It's not one that promises just happy feelings. It's not one that promises a sense of just, just being in the right spot. <laughs> we're reminded, Jesus, as you prayed in the garden and as you went to give of your life, that it was, a, it was a tough place even for you. And yet we're also reminded by your obedience, Jesus, that it was a place and a, and a space that you were willing to walk through. Not defending not taking up your own cause, but resting in the hands of the Lord, trusting the Father, giving of yourself completely. Lord, I think about the, the slaves in Peter's day who might have read this for the first time, who, who despite maybe having benefits that slaves in our day or in our country in past times did not have, still were the, were the property of their masters, still were subject to great brutality and violence and oppression. Think about the slaves who heard this word for the first time and perhaps who were gripped maybe for the first time or again by what it is that Jesus had done for them and were able to gain a new perspective and a fresh confidence and a, and a, and a blessed hope that even in the midst of what it was that they were experiencing, not to to slide by it or pass it off at all, but in the midst of what they were experiencing, they could know that there was a shepherd, that there was a guide, that there was an overseer, that there was one who had paid the ultimate price for them and who had not left them alone, but who was with them even then. Lord, I just know that there are some folks, even here in our congregation today that maybe it's something going on in their own life. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a a spouse. Maybe it's a friend or some other situation in their life that's just causing great suffering and pain. God, it's real and it's no use avoiding or ignoring or trying to pretend that it's not. And God, my prayer this morning is that each of us who might find ourselves in that place or each of us who will one day could know as well this promise of, a, of an example of a pattern who has gone before, who leads the way, this, this one who is a savior, who, who invites us to walk where he has gone, into new life, into blessed hope, this one who is a shepherd, who watches and guides and cares for us even now, this Jesus, you, Jesus, who are big enough. And so we come to you today, and we're remembering your words, Jesus, to your disciples. When you met with them, and you took the bread, and you blessed it, and you passed it to them, and you said, this is my body, broken for you. Each time you take of it, remember me. In the same way, you took the cup, and you passed it, and you said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take of it. And drink and each time you do, remember me. I can only imagine the disciples in those moments just just having almost no idea what he was talking about. But in days to come, it would become perfectly clear. May it be perfectly clear to us even here today. And may we remember, may we take to heart your broken body and shed blood not only for the gifts that it brings us, but for the example that it sets us as we move into the days that are before us. We thank you, God, for these moments. We enter into them with great thanksgiving, with great reverence, with great joy, and with great appreciation for what it is that you have done.